0: Africa, rise and shine Africa,
1: zorga Africa, amuka na unay
2: Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective live in Johannesburg, South Africa. We are on the frequencies 7230 kHz on the 41m band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kilohertz on the 19m band to West Africa as well as DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Moussa, Tabisolo Hoko and Figile in our top stories, on Africa rise and shine at the Sawa. UN camp residents in South Sudan feel safer after weapons searches. South African opposition slams President Zuma amnesty reports. And a book about Nelson Mandela's last days withdrawn from circulation. In economics news, Kenya Airways plane damaged at the Jomo Kenyatta airport. But first up, the news with Anne Moussa.
3: A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Moussa. Saudi Arabia and its allies have announced they've blacklisted charity groups and individuals with ties to Yemen, Qatar and Libya. Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, Bahrain and Egypt released a joint statement naming nine charity organizations and nine individuals directly or indirectly linked to Qatari authorities as terrorists. The four Arab states last month suspended ties with Qatar over allegations that the Gulf state bankrolled Islamist extremism and accusation Qatar has consistently denied. Seven civilians, including two children, have been killed in a car bomb explosion near a military checkpoint in Egypt's northern Sinai, Egypt's military is battling a local affiliate of the Islamic State group that has waged a deadly insurgency in the northern Sinai, killing hundreds of members of the security forces. Since December, IS has also targeted Christians in other parts of the country, including in the capital Cairo, killing dozens. The jihadists have threatened to carry out further attacks on Christians. Russia has started deploying forces in two safe zones that's, that it's been working to establish in Syria. The Defense Ministry announcement makes the first deployment of foreign troops to bolster the safe zones as Moscow seeks to pacify Syria after its military intervention swung the six-year conflict in favor of Syrian President Bashar al-Assad, the BBC's Alan Johnston reports.
4: The Russians say their military police have already set up checkpoints and observation posts in two safe zones. One is in southern Syria on Israel's border. The other is an area called Eastern Ghouta, an opposition stronghold near Damascus. The Russians hope the war in Syria can be calmed down through the establishment of a series of these safe zones, areas where agreement might be reached to de-escalate the hostilities. And this is the first time Moscow has sent its military police in to try to start making such plans a reality.
3: Zambian president Edgar Lungu has been renominated as the run- to run as the Patriotic Front presidential candidate in 2021. According to the BBC, the ruling PF's top decision-making body made the decision over the weekend. Lungu's critics reportedly believed that he would not be eligible to stand, as he had served as president already two times. The Zambian constitution does not allow a candidate to serve three terms. Lungu became the country's president after the death of President Michael Sutter in 2014. And finally, the Israeli cabinet has decided to remove the controversial metal detectors at the holy site in Jerusalem. Muslims call the site Haram Ish. Shari and Jews know it as the temple mount. Officials say other security measures will be deployed instead. The security measures introduced after two policemen were killed nearby had infuriated Palestinian worshippers and sparked violent protests. Israel's representative at the United Nations, Danny Donon, says keeping people safe at the site is vital.
1: Israel, is making sure that there is a real freedom of religion in Jerusalem. And that's what we will continue to do. We will enable everybody to come and pray on the Temple Mount, but at the same time, we will do whatever is necessary to maintain security on this important site.
3: That's the news Zealand at 8.30 Central African Time.
1: Africa, rise and
0: shine. Africa, Zorba. Africa,
5: amuka
2: Thank you, Anne. It's 8.05 Central African Time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. South Sudanese citizens who have been displaced to United Nations protection camps as a result of conflict in the country say they feel safer when those camps are searched for weapons and other prohibited items. Currently, over 200,000 people live in protection of civilian sites set up by the UN mission in South Sudan, UNMISS. To ensure the sites known as POCs remain civilian in nature, the mission regularly carries out surprise inspections. Daniel Dickinson joined one of the search operations in Juba, the country's capital.
6: Hello?
0: Is anybody there? Assalamu alaikum. Tama?
5: Yeah, we are just uh, on poll. We are doing search operations. Can we come in please? Okay, thank you. Please.
4: Cynthia Anderson is an officer from Ghana who's serving in the UN Police Force, UNPOL.
0: We are doing search operations here. And uh, we are just making sure that the POC camp maintains its civilian nature. We are looking for weapons or implements or anything that will endanger the security of the people of the POC. You know, one of the key uh, OMS mandates is uh, protection of civilians. So we want to make sure that the civilians here are protected.
4: She's leading five police officers from Nepal and Rwanda, one of around 20 teams involved in the surprise search operation. The inspections are generally welcome, according to the camp community chairperson Bang Lul Gue.
5: This search operation is good because it will uh, improve the life of the community in the camp here because there is uh, some element we can disturb people.
4: Do people feel reassured when unpol comes round?
5: Yeah,
6: they feel healthy because they see the, the Anpol, it is a protecting the family.
4: This fence camp is one of seven established by UNMIS to provide refuge to 219,000 civilians who fled their homes after conflict broke out in December 2013.
0: That's okay, it's cleared, so we can go out now.
4: The three-hour search operation is almost over, and an assessment is being made of the confiscated items. They include machetes, knives, uniforms, and illegally brewed alcohol. Significantly, neither firearms nor ammunition were recovered. Joachim Bergström is the UNPOL ground commander for the operation. It's for the
7: people inside to have a place to feel safe and also for the UN to show um, our counterparts uh, outside that we're not taking side in this conflict.
4: To what extent is this a deterrence against people bringing weapons into the camps?
7: They know every now and then we will have searches. The chances of getting caught are there. In some way that might deter people from bringing firearms inside.
4: The camps are a key element of UNMISS's mandate to provide a protective environment for civilians. Meanwhile, the mission is working with the government to create the conditions for people to return to their homes. Daniel Dickinson at the POC site in Juba, South Sudan.
2: The executors of the late South Africa's President Nelson Mandela's estate will lodge formal complaints against Madiba's medical doctor Vijay Ramlakan. The former South African National Defence Force Surgeon General published a tell-all book that details the late statesman's last day. The executors, which include former Deputy Chief Justice Dikang Musenege and Widow Grasamashal, believe Ramlakan violated doctor-patient
8: confidentiality pact. Nomabulani reports. The executives, the former Deputy Chief Justice Tihang Musaneke, Advocate George Bezos and Judge Timba Sangoni, say they will seek legal opinion on the remedy in law as well as seek an interdict on further distribution of the book. Justice Museneke says consent for publishing Madiba's personal medical details was not sought from themselves or his widow, Grasha Michelle. He says Dr. Ramlakan must be held to account for his misconduct and unethical actions.
9: At that level alone, it is not only unlawful, but also it is in terrible case. The second thing that we say is that he acted as an army employee, and therefore we're going to report him to the South African National Defense Force, to whom he is answerable. He was not a private doctor, he was a public servant, doing a public duty, and there are limits to what he may write about that. But also he's a doctor, and therefore we're going to report him to the Health Professions Council, who should be able to hold him accountable. The publisher, as well as the, the author, did not seek any consent from Mrs. Michelle, who is the widow of Mr. Mandela. Nor did they approach us as executors, who in law stand in the place of the deceased.
8: Penguin Random House says it will no longer issue any more copies of the book out of respect of Mandela's family. The book was launched last week with copies already in store. It says it agreed to publish the book after it was advised that Dr. Ramla Khan had sought permission from the family to write and publish it. In the statement, PRH says the book was meant to portray Madiba's courage and strength in his last days. They maintain the intention was never to disrespect his memory. Meanwhile, the Nelson Mandela Foundation says the book shouldn't have been published in the first place. CEO Silo Hadang says there are glaring inaccuracies.
10: We believe that uh, the book shouldn't have been published in the first place. We're going through the book and uh, and preliminary uh, stuff that we're finding is that it has a lot of inaccuracies. Uh, The author claims that uh, Mrs. Michelle uh, was doing a lot of uh, work for the Nelson Mandela Foundation. That can only be out of ignorance, because Mrs. Michelle does not work for the Nelson Mandela Foundation, nor is she a trustee.
8: President of the Health Professional Council of South Africa, Jose Litlape, says medical ethics dictate that consent must be given before medical details of any patients are revealed. A practitioner has a duty to protect a client's privacy even in death. Litlape says they can only investigate the matter once a complaint has been lodged with them.
11: If anybody feels confidentiality has been breached by a practitioner without any consent being given, they have a right to complain to council. On receipt of the complaint, council will, will then proceed with handling the matter. If the complaint is not raised, we would not investigate. Remember, if the, family, if the family wishes to go the legal route, it is what they are entitled to. We are not above the laws of the country and our court are superior to us, and uh, people might proceed in whichever manner.
8: Dr. Ramlakan was unavailable for comments. I'm Noma Polani in Johannesburg. A proposed plan to rescue South Africa's President Jacob
2: Zuma from future prosecution and unify the ruling African National Congress has been met with scepticism by political commentators. It is reported that ANC presidential hopeful Lindiwe Sisulu has suggested that there be amnesty for President Zuma for crimes that he is alleged to have committed to rescue the party's battered image, Sisulu was speaking in Soweto on the weekend. Sisulu's proposal comes as the Opposition Democratic Alliance continues to pursue its legal battle to have about 783 corruption charges reinstated against President Zuma. The matter will be heard on the 15th of September at the Supreme Court of Appeals in Bloemfontein. The decision to drop the charges was taken by then-Acting National Director of Public Prosecutions, Mokote Dimche, in 2000 two thousand nine. Tepoikaning reports.
5: With the ANC leadership battle intensifying, reports have emerged that an exit plan may be under discussion to convince President Jacob Zuma to bow out of office without facing any criminal or corruption related prosecutions. Recent media reports allege that a two billion rent settlement package could be made available to President Zuma should he agree to terms of his departure from high office. It's speculated that the deal is aimed at salvaging the president's legacy and to restore the ANC's battered image. In response, the Democratic Alliance has described the Zuma political settlement reports as outrageous. James Self is the DA's federal executive chairman. But you cannot have a situation where a president is uh, subject to one set of laws and
12: the ordinary citizens of South Africa are subject to a different set of laws. And for that reason, we reject uh, this amnesty proposal absolutely and completely. Uh, We believe that Mr. Zuma, if if he has a case to answer, must go and answer that case in court
5: and must not be indemnified uh, simply because the ruling party is unable to get rid of him. Some suggestions are that the plan is an attempt to encourage President Zuma not to influence the outcome of the leadership contest which will culminate in the election of his successor at the ANC December conference. Independent political analyst Ralph Mateja has argued that any attempt to grant President Zuma an immunity from prosecution will compromise the independence of state institutions.
13: This kind of a deal will amount to the formation of parallel institutions that will be running in parallel to our democratic institutions. It actually says that uh, the functioning of democracy in South Africa and the functioning of those institutions depend on the whims of uh, political leadership within the country, as political leadership within the country will then be allowed to suspend the functioning of institutions whenever it fits them. It actually says that there is a normal law that works for ordinary citizens, and there is the law or maybe there is a particular path that is followed when Notable political leaders are involved in, in, in South Africa. It, it built a true society. The other one is a society where the elites live and they break the rules and uh, bend the rules as they wish. And the other society is the one where ordinary people like you and I live, where the law applies, irrespective of what. I think that morally, this kind of an approach is indefensible in a democratic society, particularly given our history where in South Africa, the elites have always dominated the political
5: sphere unduly even under apartheid constitutional law expert Pierre de force says any move to shield president zuma from possible future prosecution through an amnesty will be a gross violation of the constitution
11: okay legally uh, there is not really a provision in our law for giving amnesty to people but uh, although in the during the trc process there was an amnesty process that was specific to the trc If the sitting president, the previous president, is convicted of a crime, then the new president can always pardon the previous president. Um, And there are very little requirements for that. There is uh, a very broad discretion to do that. But that can only happen after there has been a conviction. In an ideal world, the prosecuting authority must prosecute everyone unless there are very compelling circumstances in terms of their prosecution policy not to do so. Um, and so uh, amnesty is not something that can be granted. I think that uh, like many other politicians, uh, Mr. Sulu didn't really uh, or doesn't really
5: understand what the law allows and does not allow. Meanwhile, the ANC spokesperson Zizi has dismissed reports that the ruling party's leadership is considering an exit package or immunity from prosecution for President Zuma. in Pretoria. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's international radio station on shortwave internet and satellite. Listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, SiLozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja.
1: Namu. Quand on a eu un Simon, il y a eu un peu Farafina.
2: Terre de
7: soleil.
14: Qui a été kina miriam.
15: Está na companhia do serviço em língua portuguesa do canal África, a voz de renascença africana que transmite a partir dos seus estudos centrais de Oakland Park, cidade de Joansburg,
5: África do Sul. Informing the world about Africa, Channel África, bringing you the African perspective.
2: It's 8.19 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. The United Nations wants a solution to the crisis at East Jerusalem's Temple Mount to be resolved before Friday prayers this week, fearing an escalation in violence that has shaken the city for more than a week. Israel's installation of metal detectors at entrances to the holy site, also known as Haram Esh Sharif, after two Israeli policemen were shot and killed by Israeli Arab attackers on July 14th, has provoked violence, including the stabbing to death of three members of the same Israeli family. The renewed violence prompted a meeting of the Security Council on Monday after three Palestinians were also shot dead in clashes with Israeli forces as the UN urges de-escalation and for the status quo of the Temple Mount to be maintained. has
12: it's the new security measures, including metal detectors at entrances to the holy site, that have infuriated Palestinians, causing clashes that have left more than 400 injured with some deaths in an area that remains very much part of the final status negotiations. Special coordinator for the Middle East peace process, Nikolai Mladenov, speaking after briefing the Security Council.
16: It is extremely important that a solution to the current crisis be found by Friday this week. I think the dangers on the ground will escalate um, if we go through another cycle of Friday prayer without a resolution to this uh, to this uh, current crisis. I ask Member States to use their influence with all sides um, in order to encourage them to de-escalate and to ensure that while... Security is provided for worshippers and visitors to the holy sites in Jerusalem. The status quo that has been um, established since 1967 is preserved um,
12: for all. Israel's ambassador, Danny Danon, slammed the attack on an Israeli family last Friday, but would not directly commit to removing the new security measures, despite international concerns about changing the status quo.
1: First, we need to remember, on July 14th, Terrorists took advantage and smuggled weapons to the Temple Mount. They killed two officers on duty on the Temple Mount, which is a holy site for Muslims and Jews. Israel is making sure that there is a real freedom of religion in Jerusalem. And that's what we will continue to do. We will enable everybody to come and pray on the Temple Mount, but at the same time, we will do whatever is necessary to maintain security on this important site.
12: Palestine's envoy Riyad Mansour was asked about the attack on the Israeli family in their home in a West Bank settlement.
6: Violence is by the Israeli occupying authority. It has the tanks, it has the weapons, it has the army, it has all the tools of oppression against our people. We are against violence. We want this violence to stop against us and we want the Security Council to have the political will to protect the Palestinian people against such violence from the Israeli occupying authority and their settlers.
12: Mansour warned that Israel's continued settlement expansion and ignoring Security Council resolutions barring them was contributing to the renewed tensions.
6: When you have an occupation with its ruthlessness as we see it, and we see a manifestation of it, of involving violation of international law at the magnitude of war crimes such as settlements, then don't expect all Palestinians to be angels not to react to it even some might take the issue in their hand as individuals. That is not necessarily the policy of the Palestinian government or the leadership of the Palestine Liberation Organization or the state of
12: Palestine. Israel captured and annexed East Jerusalem, including the Old City, during the 1967 war, a move that is not internationally recognized, despite Israel's claim on all of Jerusalem as its capital. Palestinians have long rejected Israel's authority in the area. I'm Sherman Bricebees in New York.
2: Well-known anti-apartheid campaigner and facilitator of the Northern Ireland Peace Process, Lord Peter Hain of Neath, has presented the University of Cape Town Vice-Chancellor's open lecture. Lord Hain says economic and social inequality has widened massively in the world. He delivered his lecture entitled Trump, Brexit and Globalization at UCT's New Theatre last night. Chris Mabuya has more.
14: Hain grew up in the apartheid South Africa until his parents were forced into exile in 1966. Known also as the anti-apartheid movement leader, Hain described his presence and welcome at UCT as a great privilege. He started his lecture by reminding those who attended the event that it was going to be difficult for him to address such a gathering under the apartheid rule.
16: Actually, at that time, it would have been treasonable for UCT to invite me to address you. When I came back as the only British minister for Africa in the Tony Blair government to be born in Africa, I visited my old school, Pretoria Boys High, and there was some graffiti painted on the pavement, on the road outside, on the tarmac, saying, Hain, hey, go home. <laughs>
14: Turning back to the theme of his lecture, Haynes says in the space of a year, politics in the old democracies of Europe and the United States of America have turned upside down. He says polls have surprised everyone.
16: In poll after poll, voters have sprung a series of surprises, plunging both leaders and led into similar states of shock. Brexit happened when it shouldn't have. Trump happened when he shouldn't have. Macron happened when he shouldn't have.
14: Hayne says economic and social inequality has widened massively.
16: Not just the poor, but the middle classes have experienced a relative decline in living standards, while the rich have become super-rich.
14: UCT Vice-Chancellor Max Price says Hayne has contributed a great deal in the struggle against apartheid.
7: Grateful for the contribution you've made to South African history and progress and hope that you will, as you said, you're a great friend and ally. I hope continue to contribute uh, to our development. Very much.
14: Lord Hayne is in South Africa for his role as visiting professor at VATS Business School. He was also instrumental in isolating South African sports teams, especially rugby and cricket, during the apartheid era. I'm Chris Mabuya in Cape Town.
3: Hello and welcome to Channel Africa, the African Perspective. We broadcast from Johannesburg in South Africa and our main aim is to provide you with news, views, knowledge and entertainment from Africa to Africans and listeners from around the world.
15: Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe. This is Simon Muchema.
3: Reporting
8: for Channel Africa, I am Diana Wanyonyi in Mombasa.
5: For Channel Africa, I am Kumboro Mnjere in Johannesburg. Channel Africa Kinshasa, Jean Noel Bamwese.
3: Reporting for Channel Africa from Zambia, I am Hilda Kkelwa. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective.
2: United States President Donald Trump has used his bully pulpit to pressure the Senate to move forward on repealing and replacing the Affordable Care Act. The last-ditch effort from the president came as he stood in the Blue Room at the White House, surrounded by families he said were hurt by former President Barack Obama's signature health care legislation. Without any Democrat support in the divided chamber, Republican senators have fallen short of the required votes to move the legislation to the Senate floor for debate, which would be the first step before eventually taking a vote on the latest measure. Sean Bryce-Peace has more.
12: Republicans have been under considerable pressure from within their own party and now from their own president to ensure that their promise to repeal and replace Obamacare comes to fruition. President Trump took aim at Democrats who do not support repealing the legislation.
17: The Senate is very close to the votes it needs to pass a replacement. The problem is we have zero help from the Democrats. They're obstructionists. That's all they are. That's all they're good at is obstruction, making things not work. They say all the right things, and then they do exactly what they're not supposed to be doing. The Democrats aren't giving us one vote, so we need virtually every single vote from the Republicans. Not easy to do.
12: But the GOP is deeply divided and finding common ground within a party that includes moderates and conservatives and without any Democrat support has to date proved a heavy lift for the party's Senate leadership. Republicans hold a 52 to 48 majority in the House and cannot afford to lose many more votes if they stand any chance of moving the legislation forward.
17: For the last seven years, Republicans have been united in standing up for Obamacare's victims. Remember, repeal and replace, repeal and replace. They kept saying it over and over again. Every Republican running for office promised immediate relief from this disastrous law. We as a party must fulfill that solemn promise to the voters of this country to repeal and replace what they've been saying for the last seven years but so far senate republicans have not done their job in ending the obamacare nightmare
12: the senate could vote as early as tuesday on whether to begin debating a new health care bill with concerns among many lawmakers that millions would lose their health insurance if the new measure were to pass senate minority leader chuck schumer
17: the overwhelming majority of american people know that president trump and the republicans are in charge And if they sabotage the system, they will pay a huge political price. I think President Trump, in his peak, doesn't understand that. But he's actually hurting his own presidency and his own party by threatening to hurt so many people just because he wants to sort of play a political gotcha.
12: President Trump also hinting that failure to pass the new measure would hurt Republicans during the next election. This, as a majority of Americans now, at 51%, have a favorable view of Obamacare, despite Republican efforts to gut the law. I'm Shervin Pease in New York.
2: It's 8.31 and our headlines are up next with that, Musa.
3: A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. In the headlines: Saudi Arabia and its allies blacklist nine charity groups and individuals with ties to Yemen, Qatar, and Libya. Seven civilians, including two children, have been killed in a car bomb explosion near a military checkpoint in Egypt's northern Sinai. And the quest for an AIDS vaccine receives a shot in the arm after scientists announced that a prototype triggered the immune system in an early phase of human trials. Those are the stories making headlines.
2: Thank you, and it's 8.32 Central African time, and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. The film Ingweba, also known as The Wound, has scooped both Best Director and Best Actor accolades at the Durban International Film Festival, which ended over the weekend in South Africa. This is the latest in the film's award-winning streak, which has seen it pick up a number of accolades from around the world. The film premiered internationally at this year's Sundance Film Festival and later opened a Berlinale panorama. Ingeba will continue to travel the world and will only open in South Africa next year. For more on this, we are now joined on the line by Niza Jay, one of the actors in the film. Good morning, Niza, and thank you so much for joining us on Africa Rise and Shine
10: morning Lulu,
2: how are you? I'm um, good, thank you. Niza, congratulations on this accolade for the film. What does this do to its reputation? Um, I'll
10: just repeat that question
2: i was just asking trying to find out what this does for this movie in labor. um you know the accolade of best director best actor um it premiered internationally at this year's sundance film festival and uh, you know what what has it done for um the film itself and for the cast in general
10: i think uh for the film firstly, yeah, i think it's especially in in the country because, you know, when it first came out, it was met with uh, um, a lot of um, negativity and criticism. So I think for a festival like to have an international film festival to honor it with those accolades, I think truly means that that um, the work that ended up, you know, being on screen truly wasn't um, an exploitation, of, as many people said, it was really a work of, of cinematic brilliance. And I think for, for the actors, it, it's it given us, a weird status in the industry because it's, it's it's you don't you don't know who's going to want to work with you because I think no one knows where this film is going you know because it's going well now and the awards are great but I think the kind of country you live in is one where if, if one um, cultural group or something rises up or, or protests enough you know they could shut the film down and it goes from being something that was lauded so much to now something being you know, um, shoved and swept under the carpet. So I think we're at a very shifty space. I think after we'll the film comes out and the general public sees it, and, uh, we're in a good place.
2: Now, Nisa, briefly tell us, what is the film Ingaeba about? Because translated or known as The Wound, what is it really about?
10: Well, um, I can't even tell you what it's about. I think that's what um, the releases are there for. Um, no, just give us, a, give us a, give us
2: a, Nisa, give us a snippet.
10: What I can reveal, yeah, what I can reveal is that it, it's a, it's the documentation of a complicated relationship between three men, you know, who, whose understanding, and embodiment, and enactment of of, of said manhood differs greatly, and I think. When all these identities and journeys um, clash, I think that's where the movie finds conflict, where one is pursuing to maintain a sort of image of, of, of an alpha male. One, one, one wants to find love and one wants to assert their identity as a proper man outside of kind of what culture prescribes. That's where the crisis lies and that's where the film finds its conflict.
2: Now, you touched on the on the issue of how the film may be um, in terms of the reception within the South African market or within the South African community. Now, is there a particular reason why it's only opening in South Africa next year?
10: Well, that's a question for the distributors. But as far well as I understand, I think it's a, it's a calculated um, plan. I think that that has been thought out and and. Um, considered very carefully so I think I'm not at liberty to particularly answer that but I think if you speak to the distributors, they'll tell you more about the detailed release and um, promotional
2: plan. Now it's already been sold to about 19 countries for theatrical release so far. How is it doing internationally?
10: It's doing, doing quite well internationally and I think it, it, it's doing how I think we, we all expected it would do. In the- we knew that we wouldn't have, you know, box office smashes and and number ones and all of that. But I think where we knew we'd find our, our grounding and our our footing would be with the critics and the festivals and uh, and the cinephiles. You know, so I think it's doing, it's, it's being commended for 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 its cinematic brilliance, its technical elements, and um, the content, uh, the context, um, its, its position as as something to interrogate culture. So I think it, it's. It's calling the international community to take South Africa as more than just you know what what so often constructed as in that, in that. yes yeah, so I think it 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 truly really is, is is a positive one that that's bringing you know positive insights to our country and our film industry
2: Nisa all the best for the film and uh, let's hope that when it does open eventually um, nationwide in South Africa next year there'll be great reviews. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank
10: you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Chip.
2: That was Nisa Jay, one of the actors in the film Ingleba, also known as The Wound.
0: This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet, and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa. In English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.
2: It's 8 39 Central African Time, and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. Labor experts from the SADC region have highlighted the importance of workers' rights. This was revealed yesterday during the official opening of the African Reli- Regional Labor Administration Centers four-day workshop in the capital, Harare. South Africa's ambassador to Zimbabwe, Pagama Mbete, officially opened the workshop in which 27 participants from nine countries are taking part. Simon Muchemo has more from Harare.
15: A four-day workshop that brings together 27 government officials, employers, and workers, organizations from nine countries across Africa involved in the promotion of occupational safety health has revealed workers rights are human rights the workshop organized by african regional labor administration center (ARLAC) in harare zimbabwe aims at providing participants with the knowledge and skills necessary to facilitate an effective problem-solving root cause analysis workers in mainly developing countries usually suffer at workplaces owing to lack of laws to address the changes that keep pace with new hazards and risks that occur, employees should be protected from sickness disease and injury arising from their employment which is most cases preventable during the official opening of the four day workshop an international labor organization consultant Matthew Nguwe said workers' rights are human rights. If
18: you want to judge or assess the level of emancipation of people or democracy in a country, look at accident. If we are injuring people, that means there's an element, some of human rights, which is still missing. It's a huge gap. So that's why it's, it's not one person's agenda, it's a national agenda. And what, what ADLAC is trying to do, together with ILO, is to get people change the way they think, especially people that are involved in the employment labour sector. So how do we actually bring about the change in the way we think, in the way we plan, in the way we communicate, in the way we do things in the workplace, in the way we strategize? How do we bring about a paradigm shift? And if we, if we can get that right, I can tell you a lot of things we planned and actually implemented correctly.
15: Matthew said... Poor planning causes most accidents that occur in workplaces. I can give you a classic example. Planning roads.
18: If you plan a road, for example, when you plan a road, you say, okay, this road will be used by, let's say, big tankers, which carry fuel, petrol. If that fuel tanker passes through urban areas, and should there be an accident, what happens? There's high risk that you kill a lot of people. But in other countries, what they do, they plan secular roads, where anything that has got nothing to do with the urban area goes on the outside peri- on the periphery why because it's the whole thinking around that say you plan with emergency for with safety in mind and it goes right across
15: the south african ambassador to zimbabwe mpakama mbete revealed shocking statistics of work-related accidents and illness, but added little is said about their effects on the economies and families.
7: In 2014, the ILO estimated that occupational accidents and work-related diseases cause over 2.3 million fatalities per year, of which over 350,000 result from occupational accidents and close on to 2 million from work-related diseases. In addition, these fatalities. In 2010 it was estimated that there were over 313 million non-fatal occupational accidents. These were injuries requiring at least four days of absence from work. These figures, whilst outstanding indeed, do not convey the pain, the suffering of the global workforce and their families or the global economic losses enterprises and societies
15: Adlak director locally said the effects of loss of lives injury or illness causes great anxiety to the entire workforce and should be minimized at all cost.
0: the worker may have to bear the cost of many or all of the medical treatment needed possibly for the rest of his or her life injury or illness can cause emotional distress from the pain and the disruption of the worker's life. Even if the worker is not the direct victim of an accident, seeing fellow workers who are injured or killed in the workplace can cause great stress and anxiety to the rest of the workforce.
15: In Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa. Africa, rise and shine.
18: Africa, Africa, wake up.
15: Africa, Africa, revive. Africa,
18: Africa, we mark. Sun rises. <laughs> What's in the happen Africa? It
0: doesn't matter
1: where you come from.
0: We are, we
18: are one, one people. people. Channel, Africa.
0: Channel, Africa.
17: Channel Africa. The
0: voice of the African Renaissance. This is DJ Cleo
5: with G Exploits from, from Nigeria.
0: Channel Africa. The voice of the African Renaissance.
2: It's 8:45 and our economics update up next with Tavis Allahoko.
19: Thanks uh, Balungile. South Africa's Tongart says it will build a refinery at its Mozambican sugar mill to process brown sugar into white sugar in a country which has a shortage of refined white sugar. The sugar producer will build the 39 million US dollar refinery at its Shinivan mill, north of the capital, Maputo, with the first production expected in September 2018. Mozambique is a net importer of sugar although consumption is lower than in neighbouring Zimbabwe. South Africa's Mineral Resources Minister Museben Zizwane has criticised the Taunlegwa gold mine in Orkney, in northwest province, for what he terms not doing enough to make the working environment safer. His statement comes after the death of four miners as they were trapped underground following seismic activity at the weekend. Zwane was speaking after meeting with mine management and unions at the mine on Monday.
18: We want to call upon all the mining companies to beef up security because our workers, our people, have value to this government and I'm sure they must have value also to their place of work.
19: A Kenya Airways plane has been damaged in an accident at Kenya's John Kenyatta International Airport. The airline, the aircraft ab three seven eight hundred was expected to operate flight KQ-764 to Johannesburg, South Africa. The Monday incident involving an airport tow truck happened during the pushback of the aircraft from the bay, damaging part of its fuselage and engine. The aircraft has a capacity of about 145 passengers. Last week's light trains... And cool overcast weather in Cordova's growing cocoa regions have raised concerns about the forthcoming October to March main crop. Flowers and sherels need strong sunny spells at the crucial period to strengthen the development of the crop. But soil moisture continent across the world's top cocoa producer is too high. OPEC has moved to cap Nigerian oil output and called on several members to boost compliance with production cuts to help clear excessive global stocks and support flagging prices. The petroleum organization has agreed with the several um, OPEC production members led by Russia to cut oil output by a combined 1.8 million barrels per day. The U.S. dollar trades at 12.4 in South Africa, it's at 10.3 in Botswana, and at 8.78 8 in Zambia. 7.6 to the British pound, 8.5 to the euro. Gold 1,000, two five five dollars. Platinum nine three one dollars an ounce. Brand crude oil for eight dollars eight four cents a barrel. I'm um, Solo Hugo.
2: A sports update up next with Figi Lilungwati.
0: First up in our sports update, we're starting off with Athletics. Athletic South Africa has taken the decision to withdraw discuss-throw athlete Victor Hogan from the initial list of 24 athletes going to the IWAF World Championships in London, England to be held from the 4th to the 13th of August. This follows IWAF correspondence rejecting Hogan's entry as part of Team South Africa. Asa had entered his name as the area champion based on his win of the continental title at the CAA 20th African Senior Championship in Durban in June 2016. But the IWF in its decision has noted that because of his subsequent last year suspension for testing positive for a prohibited substance, all performances achieved in that period are not recognized and have been scrapped. The final team to London will now consist of 17 men and 6 women and will be led by Asa Trek and Field Chairman Peter Lawrence. In football news, South Africa's national under-17 men's football team Amajimbos face off with Madagascar in their final Group B match of the ongoing KOSAFA Under-17 Championship today. A tournament is currently underway in Mauritius. Amajimbo's overcame Mozambique 3-1 in the opening under-17 Kosafa Championship but went down 3-2 to Zambia in the second match this past weekend. The match kicks off 1pm Central African Time at St. Francois Xavier Stadium. And Johannesburg Metropolis in South Africa Department spokesperson Edna Mamunyane has pleaded with both football and rugby fans to enjoy the action-packed sports weekend of live sports responsibly in and around. The Emirates Lions are set to take on the hurricanes at the Emirates Airline Park in Johannesburg, while in Soweto, south of Johannesburg, also comes to a standstill with Kaiser Chiefs taking on Orlando Pirates in the 2017 Carling Black Label Cup simultaneously on Saturday afternoon. Mamunyane adds that there's a lot of public transport also available to the supporters to minimize using their own vehicle on the day. And in cricket news, South Africa will be without J.P. Dumini for the rest of their test series in England. Dumini was dropped for the second test at Trent Bridge, which South Africa won by 340 runs to level the rubber. Teams management says he would return home before the third test at the over, which starts on Thursday. That might spell the end of Dumini's test career, in which he has played 46 matches and scored 2,103 runs at 32.85 with six centuries. His last 15 completed test meetings have yielded only one century. On to Olympic news, Nigeria's Habu Gumel and Aruba Nicole Huvitz are favorites for two vacant positions on the International Olympic Committee, the IOC Executive Board. Both have written to IOC colleagues requesting their support and both are thought to have the backing of senior figures within the organization. A vote will take place during the IOC session in Lima between the 13th to the 16th of September. Other individuals, including Switzerland's Dennis Oswald and Hungary's Pat Schmidt, are also considered to be potential candidates. The addition of Gummel would end the current situation of being no African representative on the board. Huvet's being appointed would bring the total number of female members to 4 out of 15. And finally, well, golf news, golf's greatest names, have hailed Jordan Spieth's dramatic time at the opening championship at Royal Bagdale on Sunday. Tiger Woods, Jack Nicklaus and Gary Player, the three surviving members of the Grand Slam club who have won all four majors, saluted the 23-year-old American who will join them if he comes out on top at next day's month's USPGA Championship. This is what Gary Player had to say about Jordan Spieth's work
10: to do what he's done and and, I mean Tom's an eight-time major champion so he's obviously had it you've got to have it here but you've got to have it here Mm -hmm. and not many people are gifted it's a divine gift I believe you know we all have a different way of looking but the way he was going everybody thought he was gone I mean never mind 13 at number 11 I think it was 11 he hit a shot and as he hit it he said a certain word it was going left into the bush and hit people and came down perfectly, chipped it up four foot and hold it. The power of the putter, and he's the best putter, maybe, maybe, and I, I, I'm not reluctant to say it, maybe the best putter that I've ever seen.
0: That's the Sport News, this hour. Africa rise and shine. Africa source Africa amuka na unai.
2: Recapping our top stories in Africa rise and shine at the Sawa UN camp residence in South Sudan feel safer after weapons searches. South Africa's opposition slams President Zuma amnesty reports and a book about Nelson Mandela's last days withdrawn from circulation. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumasarama Gaza and... Komo technical producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info.channelafrica.co.za or tweet us at RiseShineAfrica or send an SMS on 277-969-57930 or WhatsApp us at 277 6300 that's 277 6300 Taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency, 7230 kHz on the 41-metre band to Southern Africa, is Amanda Black with a song titled Amazul.
20: To the darkness Is all tied to twilight and make them all o mah oh boom ibu So lift my head up high